Well, it is uh, just a delight to be with you uh, here this weekend. Um, as Dave mentioned already, it's been in the works for a while. And church camping is something that our family just really enjoys. Our congregation has been doing this for um, maybe about as long as yours. I understand maybe a decade, 14 years or so. I think we've been doing it for about 14 years. And uh, we normally have it in June or July uh, when it's warm outside to camp. Um, I admire the brave people who, uh, who, who were outside last night. That's, that's, that's good. Um, anyway, we, we thoroughly enjoy church camping as a, as a church family. And uh, consistently what's happened over the years when we've got to the end of church camping is one of our young children will go home and the question is going to be, how soon is church camping again? And uh, normally we have to tell them it's a year out. You know, it's a whole year, and that seems like a really long time. Uh, this year we got to say, hey, it's again in, in, in October. It's, it's not, we don't have to wait a whole year. So uh, just grateful to, to be with you and getting to know uh, the, the faith church family. Just uh, maybe uh, thanks for the introduction, Dave. Uh, just a little bit more about our family. We have four children. I'm grateful they can be with us. Uh, my wife, I should mention first, my uh, wife of uh, 14 years, uh, Corlene. And we have four children. Uh, Kier is 12, and then Andre Elliot is 11, Andre is 8, and Devorah is 5. And yes, uh, I do pastor. Uh, Oasis Mennonite Church is three years old. And uh, we started out of Grace Mennonite Church, where I've pastored, where I was ordained about 12 years ago. And um, uh, Grace got too large, and so uh, Oasis began. And so that's where, where we are at. So greetings from Oasis uh, to Faith. It's good, good to be with you here uh, this, this weekend. Now, Dave already started in with sort of asking or, or giving somewhat of a reason why you're here. Why do you, maybe I'll just ask the question here for you to think, but why, why do you do this? Why do you gather together as a church family to camp together, to live together, to eat together? What's, what's the purpose of, of uh, a time like this? I find a weekend like this to be really, really significant in a church fam for a church family. I remember a pastor and his family uh, started coming to our congregation several years ago. And I remember talking to him, they're, they're members in our congregation now, and I remember talking to him after church camping, and he was just saying, you know, this was, this was really good. What, he wasn't familiar with camping together as a church, and I remember his, his comment that he made at the end of that church camping. He says, you know what? There's a lot more church that happens this weekend than what happens on your regular Sunday morning. There's a lot more church that happens here. And what he's talking about is relationships and connection and knowing each other and caring about each other. That's what church is, uh, is relationships and building that. And, and certainly, you know, Sunday mornings and events, you know, I hope cultivate that, but I think it's really great to have a, a time together 
And I've been witnessing that this weekend here of, of people connecting and caring and, and getting to know each other better. And so this morning, what I want to do is, is maybe somewhat think further about the, the reason for camping together as a church family. And I'm, I'm using the, the analogy of bridge building. I think a lot of bridge building can happen on a weekend like this. And when I'm talking about bridge building, whenever there's a, a need for a bridge, there's distance, there's separation, there's a gap. And, and, and a bridge is a coming together and a connection. And, and so this morning, we're going to think a little bit in terms of, of bridge building and, and the opportunity that there is for us to, as we think about church and camping together, to, to build a bridge. I'm going to start here this morning by talking about probably the most well-known bridge in U.S., uh, the most photographed bridge anyway. Never mind my drawing, this is a very poor resemblance of it. But anyone know what bridge we're talking about, what I'm talking about this morning? Golden Gate. Who's been to the Golden Gate, seen it? Oh, not as many as I thought. Uh, I have never. Uh, it's on my wish list at some point. Um, but I think we've all seen pictures of the Golden Gate. And uh, it's a significant bridge uh, built uh, between 1933 and 1937. Uh, it was the tallest and longest bridge in at least U.S. and I think possibly the world at that time. Uh, before 1937, to get across the Golden Gate Strait in San Francisco, there was a ferry system. And it was a very well-used ferry system. It was the largest ferry system in U.S., or actually, I think, in the world. And, and they would transport about a 20-minute passage across. It was expensive, a dollar a person, which in 37 was pricey, uh, or 33 was pricey. But that was the only way across the Golden Gate Strait, was to go by ferry. And San Francisco was growing, but not actually growing at the rate that it should have been compared to other U.S. cities. And part of it was because there was not a bridge built. It, they felt it was actually slowing down the growth of, of the city. Uh, it was the largest U.S. city to be serviced by a ferry like that. Well, why, if this was a limitation, why were they not, why had they not built a bridge? Why had they not built a bridge yet? Well, because it had been considered, but it had been considered this would be a bridge that could not be built. It was, the obstacles were just too great to put a bridge uh, at that time across the Golden Gate Strait. Uh, it couldn't be done, was the word. And, and there were numerous obstacles, certainly the ferry organization did not like the thought of a bridge. Um, I read that they lodged 2,300 legal disputes in opposition to the bridge being built. Um, there were politics back then, too, by the sounds of things that uh, were playing out. And so they were, they were a very profitable ferry business, so they didn't want to see a bridge. Uh, it went actually bankrupt when the bridge was built then, uh, at least the one ferry uh, company. Uh, 
but, but more so than just that opposition was the span and the type of conditions that exist there in San Francisco. It's a one point, um, the bridge was going to need to be 1.7 miles long. And the strait there in San Francisco, those of you who have been there can maybe picture this, but there's strong currents, um, tidal currents. Uh, as I understand with the tide, about a fifth of the water from, from the bay rush in and out through this strait each day with the tide. So strong currents, uh, it's deep, um, it, 372 feet is the depth below the water at the center point, 372 feet. So a long, uh, very deep strait there. Very strong winds that blow through there, as well as blinding fog. And thinking of putting up a bridge in those sort of conditions was just, it, it, you know, it's, it can't be done. It was proposed, there was a proposal, Joseph Strauss thought about, he proposed the plan. And uh, the original budget was, uh, proposed budget was $100 million. This was in 1936, uh, 1933, which would be the equivalent of $2.5 billion today. That was the estimated cost of this bridge. And so it was just recognized that this is a bridge that can't be built. But it was built. They, the idea was developed and it started to gain support. And as we know today, the bridge was built. But it was quite an undertaking to build the Golden Gate Bridge. We'll talk about a couple of the elements of building the bridge. The anchors on both ends, which anchor the cables. 60,000 tons of concrete are in each of the anchors, 60,000 tons. I understand the concrete that's in those anchors could build a standard sidewalk from the east to the west coast of US. So a lot of concrete, a lot of concrete there that's holding those anchors uh, fast. The most challenging part of building the bridge was building these towers. The one tower, I think it's on the north side, wasn't as challenging, it wasn't as far out from land. Um, the South Tower posed a, a, a great, uh, a significant more challenge to, to build. It was far enough away from land, they actually built a, sort of a causeway out to it, which got destroyed when a freighter lost its way in the fog one time, and a storm took out this causeway going out, and they built this causeway simply out to, to be able to build the pier. Uh, but these, these, these towers are, they hold up the entire bridge. The weight of the bridge is resting on, on the two towers. So really critical, these, these towers that hold up the bridge. And so to get a firm foundation for the, for the tower, they had to go down, I think it was 110 feet on the south tower. They had to send divers down there, and they dropped bombs down into the water to blow up the rock, and then they'd have to go down and clear it to get a, a really sturdy, uh, so they made sure that they were on, on bedrock. Uh, and then, so these divers were going down 110 feet. Think about the currents that are flowing in and out and working in darkness, 
and uh, it was it was a really challenging challenging uh, job. They laid concrete down here, and then they built sort of a big bathtub of concrete, a walled bathtub. It, it, when it was finished, it looked like a bathtub. That then they pumped out all that water out of that bathtub so that they could put the concrete down in dry conditions down onto that, um, down onto the bedrock there. About uh, 22,000 tons of concrete in the base of the tower. Again, just a tremendous, tremendous undertaking there. The cables, we could talk about the cables that loop across the top there. The cables are made up of individual strands of wire that are wound together. And each, this, this cable that goes across has 27,572 strands of wire that needed to be wound together. 27,000 strands of wire, which I don't know how big the wire was, but when it's all put together, it's about three feet, this cable that loops across there, about three feet in, in diameter. Very significant uh, cable. The individual cable or the individual wires that were bound together, if you'd stretch it all, it would go around the earth about three and a half, three and a quarter times or so. So a tremendous amount of cable that was wound together um, across here. They had to keep coming back and forth, winding up more and more. Well, in 1937, um, four years after it, was uh, after it was started, the project was finished. The part that I find unique is that it was done ahead of schedule, and it was, came in well under budget. Some things have changed, haven't they? When things come in ahead of schedule and well under budget, uh, it costs uh, actually significantly less than what they were, um, were ex expecting. Well, that's the Golden Gate Bridge. We're not here to build the Golden Gate Bridge this weekend, but we are here to, build, to bridge build as a church um, family, and I invite you, if you have your Bibles, uh, to Ephesians 4. Um, this is going to be the text that I'm going to use this morning to, uh, to give us sort of a framework for thinking a little bit about bridge building. And the way I'm dividing it up here is we're going to look at the bridge, we're going to look at some of the obstacles, very briefly the obstacles, and then uh, consider the two towers. I mentioned that these two towers are really holding up the weight of the bridge, and what are those, those towers that hold up the bridge um, in this context here? Let's, uh, I'll just read Ephesians 4 and 11 through 16. I'll be reading from the New King James. Ephesians 4, 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And this is where I'm drawing the bridge here, till we all come to the unity of the faith. That is what I'm going to be labeling as the bridge that we're, we're about. The unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To be a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
that we should no longer be children. Here I'm listening, listing some of the obstacles, reading some of the obstacles of bridge building. Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And then the pillars, but speaking the truth in love. Truth, love. May grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplieth, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The bridge, verse 13 there. This unity of the faith, or in the context that we're in here, we could talk about the unity of the faith Christian fellowship, even, if we want to really personalize this. The unity of the faith. This is something that we know Jesus prizes highly, is the unity of the faith. We read in John 17 that they may be one. We read that several times, that they may be one, connected and, and, and unified, joined together. Connection, trust between brothers and sisters in the church. Unity coming together and growing into Christ-likeness. I've been a pastor for several years, and I've, know, I've come to realize that that unity is not something that just automatically happens. That the unity in a brotherhood is something that just, you know, uh, isn't an automatic. It takes effort. It takes time together. It takes church camping to, to, um, for those connections, that trust to be built. I've been the recipient of harsh emails. I've seen uh, conversations that you know, kind of ended, well, if it doesn't go this way, then sorry, I'm just not going to be able to stay around. I've, uh, I've seen broken trust in relationships. Um, one of the realities of our busy lives, uh, Southern Ontario is this way, and I'm sure Virginia is this way, is just, you know, our connecting time together as, as brothers and sisters is somewhat limited um, because of other schedules and, and work. And so these are all challenges to, um, to unity in, in the brotherhood. And, uh, and so I have had the hard, you know, painful times of when I've seen unity disturbed or disrupted or when even severed, when, when someone has, has, has walked away. And so the, my, my emphasis here is that, is that the unity of the faith is something Jesus cares about. And it's something that we, I hope, all want to cultivate and do our part to, to maintain and grow. Verse, uh, the next part here, the obstacles to the unity of the faith that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro every wind of doctrine and trickery of men, cunning craftiness. These are all um, obstacles. And we could spend, I'm, I'm not going to talk real long here this morning, we could talk at length about some of the obstacles 
of the unity of the faith. And there are plenty of them. Um, recently, I read uh, Carl Truman's book, um, The Rise of the Modern... No, this... Uh, it's about the rise of the modern self. Um, but he does well in... This is... He, it's the modern self, but it's... We saw it in the Garden of Eden. Maybe I'll just draw it here just briefly. This is... We could talk here a long time. Historically, you know, the self was seen as sinful. And that because it's sinful, so I'm talking here from a Judeo-Christian view, it was viewed as sinful. Therefore, it's not a very good authority, that, that inner self of, of what is true and what is right in the world, that we depended on external... I'm not sure my bridge might be falling here. Uh, external truth, you know, revelation, certainly the Bible, to tell us what is true and right in the world, and that was our authority. Even things like our bodies told us of who we were, whether we were male or female, things like that. The modern self, I think it's going to stand here, is, is where... Actually, our inner being, our inner self, is where truth is found. And it's where, um, because that's where the truth is, that inner self there, it actually is authoritative in our life. What I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing, what I perceive is true, is, is reality. And so then, I'm actually, what's important is that I express that truth in whatever I'm experiencing inner. And so we see this being manifested in some really strange ways in the, just even the last, last decade here in North America, especially in the Western world, uh, when I'm talking about gender and things like that, that what I'm feeling inside is reality. And it doesn't actually matter what some of the external, <clears throat> um, what even my body says about me. It's what I feel inside that's true. And so this is manifesting in some really unique ways. Certainly, I mean, we, we talk about individualism, and this is, this is individualism right here, uh, where, where it's about me and what my reality is and me expressing. And you have to honor um, what, I'm, what I'm feeling and saying because um, that's true and I need to be authentic, things like that. I, I raise that simply as one of the obstacles that can work their way into, into unity, into, into the church, of, of the, the individual being the, the most important as opposed to the, the, the body. We could talk about other, other obstacles as, as well, but what this, what this leans, tends towards is, you know, every man, sort of what, how judges ends there, every man doing what's right in his own eyes, is, is sort of the end result of that. And that obviously is an is a obstacle when we're talking about unity of the faith. Well, let's move yet into the pillars. What are the pillars that, that hold up this, this unity? We have two pillars here, and I'm suggesting, this is bothering me, this, uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's, I think it's actually, yeah, something wasn't set right. Um, I'm, I'm taking from this passage the two words here. Sorry, that's uh, 
maybe not writing as well as should, the two pillars of love and truth being the, the two pillars. And I think we all recognize that the, the importance of both love and truth. We think of the words of Jesus where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All right, we're not arguing about the importance of truth. We think of the words of, of in 1 John where he says, um, God is love. And, and the mark of a disciple is that of loving each other. Both really, I think we all recognize these as, as being very significant pillars. My observation has been, as I've pastored for several years, is that <clears throat> it's, it's not unusual to see a gravitation, and this is driven by personality or church background, events in life, that, that various people will gravitate towards kind of protecting one of these over the other. Um, where, where I think we all would say that both love and truth are important, but, but some might gravitate, gravitate towards really need, feeling a need to protect truth and others feeling a, really a need to protect love. And, and this can cause some tension in a brotherhood. I've experienced this. Maybe we'll just talk here a little bit about the, both of these pillars in turn. The truth pillar, those that, that really feel a need to guard the, the truth pillar, uh, tend to be uh, alert, um, on guard, uh, react quickly if they sense that anything is, is even encroaching that's going to erode truth. Uh, sometimes change is, is viewed as a threat. Um, slippery slope, those are some words, tend to be more black and white, a lack of nuance or recognizing the complexity of certain situations. They see the apostasy in previous churches or maybe church groups and, and see that as a threat and, and want to protect uh, against uh, from that. Maybe less room for debate um, or, or doubting or questioning. And... Uh, and, and this is really important in a church that we have the people who want to protect truth. Uh, I think we all recognize that we, we don't want to um, have truth eroded. But these can also err on the side of splintering or division um, over truth and, and can feel like a, um, there, there, there may be protecting truth and, and not as much love. On the other hand, there are also individuals who, who feel the need to really guard the, the love pillar, as it were, or the tower. Um, they want to give space for growth um, and doubt and change, transparent with their struggles. Uh, patient, give the benefit of the doubt. Um, okay with maybe greater diversity of thought and practice. I don't need, need to win the argument, willing to lay down their preferences for the sake of a relationship. And they tend to react if they see truth being used as a sledgehammer or something that is, 
that is causing splinter and, and hurt, um, absence of love. So this has kind of been the way I've processed it. You know, I've seen um, individuals, I'm thinking here in, in, in our church setting, so I have, um, we're not perfect uh, in Ontario, and I've had um, individuals who over certain issues have said, you know what, this is, this is leading towards, it feels like an erosion of truth, and we're just not, um, if it goes this way, uh, we're, we just don't see a way of, of staying around. We've also had individuals who, who, who have been more, you know, protect the love, and they see when truth is being used in a divisive way or a um, splintering way, and um, some have said, you know, what's really important is the great commandment, loving God and loving people, and, and truth's not, um, they're probably a little more postmodern and, and not feeling a need to protect uh, truth in the same way. Well, let me bring you back to the golden gate here. Which of these pillars of the golden gate can you do without? Which pillar can you say, you know what? We're okay if this one erodes. We'll still have a good bridge. Or, you know what? This one here, nah. We can probably kind of compromise on that one, and we're still going to have a solid unity of the faith as being our bridge. Which one, you know, the, there's all kinds of maintenance that happens on the Golden Gate Bridge on a, uh, I have it written down somewhere, I think 30, uh, 34 painters are continually painting the Golden Gate Bridge year-round, 34 painters. So, you know what, let's just care about the truth I mean, it's a lot to paint both of them. Let's just care about one or the other. I think we all recognize that a bridge of this nature is going to collapse if either of those pillars are somehow compromised. And so what is more important? Well, we can't really answer that question as they both have to be present for the unity of the faith. And when I think of a brotherhood, I recognize that we might have different backgrounds, different histories, and so I recognize that we might tend to gravitate towards one or the other. And this is where I think the, the strength of brotherhood comes in here, is that but when we work together, we, are, we together are are holding both pillars, or we should be holding both pillars, that of love and truth. Tim Keller writes, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we can't really hear it. But both, when we have both pillars, that of love and truth, and we're, as a brotherhood, we're supporting, we're, we're maintaining both of those. We're, we're working towards both of those, supporting those. Well, I think that's growing into Christ-likeness because it's in Jesus that we see both truth and love 
perfectly joined together. Verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined in it together by which, and it goes on. It's in Jesus that we find both truth and love. And so I call us to grow up in him, in both truth and love, and in a brotherhood like this, to respect the differences that are there and to see that both, that, that everyone contributes to the, to the bridge here. And so I want to encourage you as a church family I see church camping as just a wonderful opportunity to continue to get to know each other, to, to care about each other, to build trust with each other, to know each other in ways that you can appreciate each other in, in just greater ways and see the strength that is found when we're together and that when, when we're building a bridge uh, together. Yes, there will be obstacles there will be challenges to unity. But I call us to appreciating the pillars that are found in Jesus Christ, love and truth. Value them in the, in the brotherhood here and uh, that we have a, well, the Golden Gate's been standing for 90 years here or so. Needs maintenance. Needs continual um, maintenance. Um, and if we don't maintain it, it's at our peril. I call us to the same here as a church, that we value the, the pillars of love and truth and see each other and what we bring to that in, in the strength that's found there. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these brothers and sisters here, the, the, this opportunity that they have to come together and know each other, care about each other, and... Uh, I sense a desire here of, of unity of the faith, that they would grow up in Jesus Christ, both um, loving each other, uh, loving you, and caring about truth and, and um, holding on to truth. May this weekend here be just a, a, another good opportunity to, um, to strengthen the unity of the faith. We pray this all through Christ. Amen.